Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Zock and this is Unlocking Mindset. Today I'm speaking with the authors of a new book being launched on January 5th, 2021, Return on Ambition. Return on Ambition is written by Nikolai Nielsen and Nikolai Tillich. Nikolai Nielsen is an associate partner at McKinsey & Company where he advises clients on leadership development, culture change, and agile transformation. Nikolai has lived in more than 10 countries on four continents and is currently based in New York with his wife and their two dogs. Nikolai Tillich is a co-founder of Deliberate Development, a software venture, and associated with Cultivating Leadership, a global coaching firm. Nikolai lives with his wife and their two children in Copenhagen after previously residing in Dubai, London, and Stockholm. One of the reasons Nikolai and Nikolai wrote Return on Ambition is to shed more awareness and more light on the notion of ambition and being true to yourself. What makes their book unique is it looks at ambition as it relates to personal development. Let's find out more. All right, welcome Nikolai T and Nikolai N. Let's jump right into this conversation about your great book that you have written together, The Return on Ambition. And let's start with how do you define ambition? Jennifer, that's a very good question, and it has been source for uh, very extensive discussions. So we have come up with the following. Um, so ambitions, we think, are a powerful yearning and drive for a future state uh, that is different than today and challenging to reach. So, so th this is a long definition, and it's certainly a stretch compared to what is in the dictionary. <laughs> and we actually said, <clears throat> if any word should be a little bit ambitious, um, it's okay, it's ambition. So, so what have we put in here? What we have put in here is, I mean, powerful yearning and drive. It's something about you really want something and you're really keen to do it. Uh, and and, and, and uh, also you have in there, it's something about there's a real difference from today. And there's also something that is not easy to attain. So that's what we're put in there. That makes sense. Really kind of, uh, kind of a stretching of a person's comfort zone and, and growth is what I hear in that definition. We, we edited many, many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> so this definition is carefully curated. <laughs> Probably the most... I mean, you can say most edited sentence in the entire book. Okay. What is the most important thing for people to understand about their ambition? One thing when we looked at ambition, the definitions, the research around it, there were very um, contrasting views. For some, it's inherently positive. For, for others, it was inherently negative. Um, it's something you shouldn't talk too much about. And that's also one of the reasons we wanted the definition to be broad enough to be all encompassing without making a judgment. It's not about being good or bad. We say that ambition, as long as it's not doing anyone any harm, uh, there's really no right or wrong or good or bad ambition. So one of the key things for people to know about ambition is that uh, there is no better or worse ambition, so to speak. Um, as long as it's really true to what 
that individual person aspires for. So we talk a lot about the notion of a personal definition of success. Mm-hmm. And that would be one big takeaway for people to reflect on what is success, what does my ambition really look like that's meaningful to me and not driven by societal expectation, but driven by what I might think uh, I want in life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, words like ambition or success are, it's about what those words mean to the, to the individual can mean a number of things. Absolutely. And we, we definitely caution against a, uh, you could say a false ambition, a caution against people pursuing a future state, pursuing something which isn't really true to them. There could be many reasons for that. It could be societal pressures, family pressures, uh, what they might see others achieve and believe to get what they get would make me happy. So we do focus a lot about understanding what really is important to you as an individual mm-hmm. and your ambition to then reflect that. Okay. That leads well into my next question, because as I read your book, I recognized fixed mindsets, characteristics in some of the um, behaviors referenced. And how can ambitious people apply more of a growth mindset? What would you advise them to do? It's, it's, um, it's a super good question. Um, so let me say, I mean, Kel Dreck's research is something that means quite a lot to both Nicolai and me. And uh, you can see the toolbox in the book is, I mean, have a lot of growth mindset thinking in it. But, but there's a thing I want to, to, to mention, Jennifer, and I think it's important. Um, so fixed mindset, growth mindset is a dichotomy. There's something in this that is good. There's something in this that is not good. And that, that can work in a number of places. I have very ambitious children. They're very young. Uh, our son is 10 years old. And um, so me and Ida's uh, son is 10 years old. <laughs> I need to be careful. It's our book and our children, but it's not the same hour. So Ida and my, my children are young. And, and uh, I mean, we actually use growth mindset actively with the kids. So when Axel, who is 10, uh, don't eat his broccoli, I mean, I have once asked him, so is that fixed or growth mindset? And he's like, uh, and then he eats the broccoli. So, 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 so you, you can apply that in so many regards, but what, what we are looking a lot at is something that is different than a dichotomy because ambitions are a virtue. Mm. So ambitions are fundamentally good. There's so much good in it, but, but when you, when you overuse them or are not, conscious about your ambitions, they, they, they can turn out to be counterproductive for you. And, and, and that's a very important part of the book. And that's a balancing act. So where you can say that, that Carol Dreck's research have meant a lot for us, we build actually more on Bob Keegan from Howard who have, have uh, studied uh, stages of adult development, where it's not just a dichotomy, <laughs> like, like either this or that, but it's much more about stages. So, so he works with four stages of adult development. And we focus in particularly on one of the shifts between these two, which is the most common. Um, So that is between what he calls socialized and self-authored. So how can you self-author your life as opposed to Mm. just into the society? 
and you can say the whole balancing act that a virtue is because it's good, but if you use it too much, it's not good anymore. That is much more about consciousness and stages of adult development. Um, that was a long answer. Is that is this helpful? Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Perhaps to build a little bit on that, if that's all right. Yes, please. Um, to build on what Nikolai just said around uh, the stages of growth and ambition as a virtue. When we, we interviewed uh, a wide range of professionals across industries globally, we did a number of interviews. Uh, sorry, we, we, let, let me say that again. Um, we surveyed a wide range of professionals globally uh, across different industries. We did in-depth interviews with many, and we collected case studies and stories. And one somewhat surprising insight for us at the beginning of this uh, many years back was that the vast majority, I mean, close to 100% of of individuals in professions globally across the arts, media, uh, consulting, business, startups, the vast majority characterize themselves as highly ambitious. Uh -huh. So people feel like, yes, I am ambitious. Even without seeing our definition, people felt, yes, I have a future state that I want to get to. I have a goal, I have a drive. They want to get somewhere with their life. Um, that being said, when Nikolai talked about um, there is a difference in ambition. I think a pure ambition that's linked to who you are, a conscious, a deliberate and intentional ambition is inherently good because essentially you're fulfilling your purpose in life. Mm -hmm. We do see, unfortunately, many people who are uh, not pursuing the right ambition for them. And there are many reasons for this that it could be based on fear or um, societal expectations and so forth. But that you could argue is, is not a, a pure or conscious ambition. So one of the one of the reasons we wrote the book was to shed more awareness and more light on the notion of ambition and being true to yourself as you pursue this. Yeah, that's really important. And in terms of motivation, when a person is being true to themselves, that mm -hmm. is a whole different energy um, behind that motivation. It's intrinsic versus if, if their, their ambition is extrinsic, then that's, you know, societal pressure, family, you know, just like you're saying. So um, very, very different sources of energy yeah. behind and, the ambition. And, and, and I mean, the, the way you put it here, Jennifer, I think is very close to how Keegan talks about socialized and self-authored. I mean, are you, are you taking your surroundings as a reference point mm -hmm. or are you much more guiding yourself from inner values, inner beliefs and inner purpose? Yeah. Uh, and that's a big shift and it happens also relatively late in life for many. I mean, it can happen as early as in the twenties, but many people are still, still kind of, kind of playing around with these things well into the thirties and forties. For sure, still developing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we all develop all the time. <laughs> yes, 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 we do. That's a good thing. <laughs> oh, you have a return on ambition assessment in the book. Can you walk people through this assessment and what they are likely to learn about themselves by taking it? Yeah, absolutely. There, at least to our knowledge, isn't a defined 
definition of what is one's return on ambition. How do you quantify how much you get out of your ambition? And given that it's so highly personal, it's probably uh, an impossible task. Uh, and, and that's not the point of what we're trying to do here. But what we found when we studied ambition, studied ambitious people, and especially when we studied those who say they have a high return on ambition and who say that they are very fulfilled in life, we noticed a common and consistent mindset and behaviors among these individuals, um, noticeably in their ability to very deliberately balance three aspects of their life, uh, balancing their achievement, balancing their degree of personal growth, and balancing their well-being. And this goes significantly beyond what many talk about in terms of work-life balance, which is often a trade-off and balancing. Uh, this is much more multifaceted and, and comprehensive. And what the return on ambition assessment does is help people actually um, get down on paper where they stack up, self-assess the where they stack up against these three dimensions, achievement, growth, and well-being. Um, we've broken the three dimensions into 30 subcomponents, which the individual will then think through and, and assess themselves on. And why did we do that? We wanted to give the reader a proxy for where they, what is their return ambition? Where are they today? Ambition is often their biggest investment in life. People are ambitious, they want to get somewhere, but often don't think holistically about what are they getting out of all those investments and hours and resources and time. Um, so the assessment will give them actually a score across each of these three and will help them think through, number one, are these scores surprising to me? Are they higher than what I might expect or lower? And number two, are they balanced? What we find with people with high return on ambition, with high degrees of fulfillment in life, is that they do balance the three aspects over time. And if there are short-term imbalances, uh, they are deliberate choices where people say, I would like to prioritize my well-being at the expense of uh, professional achievement or vice versa, or I'm really going to invest two years of my life and go into education and grow as a human being uh, and so forth. So it's helping people get that more deliberate and conscious choice about where, where they spend their time and how they manage what they get out of, of their ambitions. Did either of you have any surprises when you took the assessment? <laughs> I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> I mean, we took it many times because we actually created it. So we yes. took many different versions of it. Um, it's a super good question. I, 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 because we work with it in many versions, I, I, I would like to answer the, your question slightly differently, if, if it's oh. okay. I think this whole book project have been deeply therapeutical. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it has been one of the most developmental, you can say activities I probably have done in my life in the sense to spend so much time really thinking about ambitions, uh, which link to identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so there have been a ton of surprises <laughs> a ton of insights, epiphanies. So, so I'd rather answer that way. I'm also a little bit careful, Nicola. I, I don't want to reveal too much of what is actually in the self-assessment here. <laughs> That's all right. We want to um, keep, motivate people to, to get their own copy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, Nicola. Um, 
one one insight I had, um, which wasn't the way we had planned the assessment, but given that it's three points that you three scores you get at a specific date when you take it, what I noticed was when I retook it over time, it becomes almost like a miniature stock market graph where I could plot how is my well-being month to month, how is my growth and, and achievement. And what was interesting for me was um, how much control you can say, uh, even though it's never going to be perfect control, but by being very intentional about where I spent my time, I was able to shift and essentially manage my ambition better. And, and that was a big insight for me. And I think there were many ups and downs and, and uh, learnings along the way. Mm-hmm. I did something similar in my own life when I identified my top five values and I color-coded the things on my calendar where I was spending my time. I color-coded them according to my values so that I could see, you know, where was I in balance yeah. with my values? And if not, where was the imbalance? Where was the balance? And you know, once we take that information out of our heads and make it visual, then it's far more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lovely story. It really I mean, is. Yes. I, uh, and it's very practical. I mean, I think your calendar is a reflection of what you do, which is a reflection of who you are. And that's mm-hmm. almost as practical as it gets. <laughs> Yeah, it was very helpful at the time. And I shared a lot um, with, with clients and such because, you know, I, I know it can help others too. Yeah. It's funny because even as a reflective person, life can go so fast. So you can be such a different place from where you actually intend to be. Yes. It really requires being in the moment and being mindful and that's not always easy (laughs) even if we're a practice you know highly reflective and practice that a lot there will be moments where we will um, be taken off course and you know that's why we equip ourselves with tools to get ourselves back on course (laughs) how did you arrive at the four premises of ambition um, specificity, <laughs> uniqueness, size, and priority. And is any one more important than the other? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, it is also one that we thought about as we looked at ambition, you know, very, very much, uh, you know, from a distance holistically. Um, and as we found that the vast majority of people are ambition, we also, ambitious, we also found that no two ambitions are the same. I mean, they're really all very different, unique to that, to that individual. Um, and as long as they are true to what that person ultimately aspires for in life, it, you, you cannot say that one, one person's ambition is better or worse than someone else's. So that meant that we, we had to find a way to help people think about their ambitions without putting a label or judgment and, and you know, ought to or have to but rather thinking about them you know, in a more general sense. So we, we feel the four are, are all important. Um, specificity being really, do you have a clearly defined uh, destination or is it a broad direction? Uh, we see different, different um, approaches play out in, in, in practice. Uniqueness is a very 
different from anything else that anyone has done today? Or is it actually tried and tested route? That's also okay. The size, um, size is interesting because it's very dependent on where you are today. What might feel like a big ambition to one person might feel like a small ambition in terms of the effort needed to get there to someone else. So size is an interesting one. And then of course the priority, is this something that you want to dominate every single hour of your waking life or are you a little bit more less affair around it? So I think all four are important. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say the size element is perhaps the one that um, both can get in the way, but also has a, a bigger than the others impact on, on how it affects your life. Um, when you have an ambition which is very different from where you are today or the effort required to get there is, is massive, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, the risk is that it starts to manage you rather than the other way around, that it, it can weigh you down. It can uh, become increasingly challenging to reach. The risk of failure is high. So this is not in any case uh, a encouragement to lower one's ambition, but it's to really think critically, why is it so big? Um, is it realistic and so forth? So if I had to pick one, I would say size is, is probably the one to really reflect over. Okay, yeah, that's very insightful about, you know, is, you know, who's driving who or what's driving what of, you know, is, are you in control of the ambition or is the ambition in control of you? Because that, that does, does happen. And I can see how size would be very relevant to that. Absolutely. It's ambition is what we found fascinating about looking at ambition and size and the impact of a large one is that um, the mere fact that you are ambitious can of course be a strength, but it can actually also get in the way. So the challenges we talk about in the book are not challenges that are inherent in everyone, um, but are really challenges inherent to the fact that you are ambition, ambitious. So that was a fascinating aspect that, that really is uh, quite different from, I believe, a lot of other personal development books on the market. Yes, I would agree. And, and I've read a lot <laughs> of books. <laughs> so yes, your book definitely has a very special and unique, unique approach. <laughs> But it's also interesting that there's so much research actually that shows how dangerous it is to have ambitions. And as Nikolai says, I mean, fundamentally, ambitions are a good thing. Uh, uh -huh. And it's this thing about being at, adequately conscious about it. So, so you are actually managing your ambitions and not the other way around. All right. That, that, that was a huge challenge when we started writing that, that we wanted to make it research-based uh, that's probably the scary space to talk very honestly about ambitions, both the good sides and also, I mean, the potential pitfalls. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Are ambitions different from goals and intentions? If so, how? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, words means what we put into them. And I mean, these are very commonly used words. So, I mean, a way to answer is that our toolbox, so the toolbox in Return on Ambition contains four tools. And um, the first three of them are really about some kind of goal setting. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
a way to answer the question is to, to give you the nuances of each these three tools. So the first one is very much about principles in life or purpose of life. So that's, that's you can say, goals at a very, very high level. Uh -huh. um, the next thing is about like where you want to focus on, on improving your return on ambition. So that, that's more like we, we talk about a, a, a time range within one to three months. And um, then, then uh, third and final, we have weekly reflections, which is much more short term where you pick events and tasks in the coming week and formulate intentions for them. So, so um, goals and intention can mean a lot. We have put it into a, a, a structure to help people get the power of, of the different types of goals and intentions. Uh, yeah, that structure is helpful. That's very good to hear, Jennifer. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Helps make it more digestible. <laughs> oh, and speaking of which, quite a bit in the book you have, you talk about the seven frenemies. Can you unpack those within the context of the core beliefs that drive them for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. You're hitting on, on one of the key key parts and messages of the book. Uh, you mentioned earlier the interesting paradox of is your ambition driving you or are you in driving your ambition? And we wanted to bring that, that element to life with uh, something that was practical and essentially um, identifiable among leaders. And we landed on this notion of frenemies where these traits, uh, these behaviors are both a friend. I mean, they have often gotten you to where you are today. They've been uh, very helpful in the past. Things like the ability to win, competitiveness, that's, that can be a very uh, positive trait and behavior to have. On the other hand, they each have a flip side. If they're overplayed or if they're, um, to use your words, if they start managing you, uh, then it often actually inhibits and limits your, your ambition, your ability to achieve that in a in a good and collaborative way. Um, so we gave each, we identified these seven frenemies and we gave them each almost like a persona where they are a, a facet that we bring out in the book as we talk through it and have people reflect on when has the competitiveness frenemy helped you in the past and how might it get in the way in the future? Uh, how does boldness show up in your life? How does perseverance show up in your life? So giving them really a persona that, that, um, that the readers can relate to. Um, what we find is uh, that the vast majority of, of readers can identify with two, three, sometimes even four or five of them. So they're, they're quite common. Um, and we also find that they are, of course, rooted in, in, a, in a number of core beliefs that, that drive the behavior. And what we tried to do and what, what we found fascinating is that as you manage your ambition in a more deliberate way, as you think about your return across achievement, growth, and well-being, uh, it often does require some degree of mindset shifts to help you get there. And we had some fascinating stories with very impressive individuals who had been through the journey of really experiencing and having an aha moment where, for example, they realized, wow, my competitiveness is not helping me at all right now. It's actually getting in the way. And what is my mindset reflecting on what is driving that? Is it something around, I have a belief that I have to win. If I don't win, then I'm not good enough. 
helping the readers think through that underlying core belief. Is that core belief serving them today? And what might be a more true and healthy mindset to have? And I found that I learned a lot from interviewing and collecting these stories from, from the various individuals about their journey and how they felt like they had had to fundamentally shift how they looked at their ambition and the way it managed them versus them managing it. Yeah, yeah, and that example that you gave, that is, that's a huge mind shift. You know, if you've been used to competing and winning and such. So this is not easy work. <laughs> it's not. And it's also, frenemies have their place. So it's not about shunning them and saying, I want to never be competitive again. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a place and they, they have helped you. They will continue to help you. But really having that deliberate uh, choice of when do I want to have it show up and when not. Right, being conscious. <laughs> I think Nikolai T also looked a lot into the linkages with frenemies and other research, um, especially with reactive tendencies. Well, would you like to share some about that? Uh, of course. <laughs> so, um, um, I mean, we, we, you, you, there are a lot of methods within coaching where you're working with this. And, and um, on the other hand, what we really wanted to highlight, which we often feel are not like really that honored is that often what people struggle the most with is actually what they are strongest at at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, now I guess the, 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 the listeners to this podcast are, are relatively sophisticated in terms of coaching, uh, at least many of them are. So, so you have various methods within the leadership circle. We have mentioned Keegan already. You have immunity to change. We have a ton of different methods that helps people get these like deeper insights in what's going on in them. And uh, we were very conscious of the choice in terms of naming this as frenemies because it's not about getting rid of this. It's more about how do you how do you get the friendly side of it, and with your new consciousness avoid the unfriendly sides. Make uh, friends with uh, the frenemy. <laughs> I think also it, it's it's um, I, I've seen so many people working with themselves that at some point in their development start rejecting past parts of themselves from mm. the past and try to take some of these radical shifts. They don't want to see certain people anymore. Some people are like fantasizing about quitting corporate life, even though it's such an important part of, of, of who they are and what they enjoy doing. So, so uh, it was important for us to find a concept where on one hand, people can see what they're good at. They can see where they often kind of lose it <laughs> too much. <laughs> that balance. And I think you said it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult. But on the other hand, it's also uh, as long as you have a little bit of compassion for these things, it's it's actually less dramatic and and um, so now now you said Nikolai T so Nikolai N when you said Nikolai T <laughs> it, it's 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 like one of the things that came to my mind is like one of the tools we we help people notice their frenemies on an ongoing basis we call it the frenemy radar and um, it's 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 a funny little thing where where when you have things that you either get very kind of concerned about, worried about, angry about, frustrated about, anxious about, or get really, really happy about, then you can ask yourself, what was a frenemy at, at, at play here? Yeah, yeah. And then you can learn from that. So, so they, I mean, you can never get rid of them. I mean, you might, if you spend 
uh, Jennifer, if you spend like seven years meditating in Himalaya, you might get rid of them. But unless you do that, I, I must personally say, I'm not saying this on behalf of Nikolai, in really <laughs> doubt you'll get rid of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's important to pay attention to those extremes. And, and that's something that with my top five values that I do, um, I use them as a filtering system and I pay attention to those extremes. And, you know, in those moments where I feel really joyful, I know that I'm connected with one of my values. Which one is it? And in those moments where I'm really struggling, I know that I'm out of alignment with one of those values. Which one am I out of alignment and how did I get myself here? So yeah, it's good to pay attention to those things. Now you have, you provide tools to help people improve their return on ambition. What is the best tool for people to start with and what kind of learning curve can they expect? Yeah, I mean, it's a super good question. And we have already mentioned one tool, but I would actually highlight another for this context. Um, so, so, um, for people listening here and say, okay, this, this sounds interesting. Let me try something out. The tool we call um, re weekly deliberation is, is a tool you can use without having read the book. And um, it, it's fairly simple in the sense that uh, you should book a bit of time for yourself at the end of the week. Uh, so before you start your weekend, uh, ideally after you have finished the work, and then sit down for uh, a moment for yourself, have your calendar, have your to-do list, look at, at both of them and, and, and think into next week, like what, what's going to happen here? And then try to identify three opportunities, either to learn and or to progress. And then for each of these three opportunities, it can be an event, it can be a task, then sit down and formulate an intention. Like what does a really good result look like? What are you going to do better or different to reach this result? And, and do that reflection and ideally write it down. I mean, it does magic to write things down. A ton of research on, I mean, actually every step in what, what I've just said here, when <laughs> we build a book of research. So this small exercise um, can help you in many ways. I mean, it, it really builds on uh, the brain's executive network and also the, the, the reward system. Mm -hmm. Um, and what many people actually report back is that, that they get a better weekend because it's a little bit like if you rush into the weekend, you're stressed about all the things you need to do next week. If you've taken that moment to like overview next week, highlight a few things, think them through, formulate an intention, put it on paper, then you will have it Monday morning. So um, it's a good tool in general and you get better weekends. Isn't yes. that the selling point? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's really great advice because it, it really does help, I think, prepare people um, mentally and emotionally for, for what's ahead. And thus they can have a better weekend. <laughs> and then again, now, now, I mean, maybe uh, I applied a little bit too much salesmanship in that one. Um, but um, Beyond the weekend thing, it's um, it's quite powerful because 
well, what actually happens is you have thoughts incubating and, and, and the way you, you, you approach this situation when it happens is completely different. So that means you're able to use your capabilities much better and um, also able to extract learnings. And particularly when you sit down after each of these three events or each of these three tasks and, and really make a reflection on like, did, did I achieve this uh, result that I dreamt of? Uh, did I apply the tactics um, that, that, that I had thought out? What did I learn from this? So it, it's a very, very powerful way both to learn and also to make progress. Yes, for sure. Adding to that intentionality, coupling that with the insights around which frenemies do you have and how do they show up, that makes it even more powerful. For example, we give, uh, we give a story of a, of a manager who has the independence frenemy. He has a belief that he needs to do everything himself because otherwise it won't get done uh, to the quality or standards that he, that he wants. But he finds it increasingly challenging to do everything himself when he has a bigger responsibility and starts managing a team. So one way to use the weekly de deliberation would, would be, for example, to um, think about in the coming week, I have a, uh, a coaching session with one of my teammates. Um, how might I best, what's my intention for this session? And how can I avoid that my independence frenemy gets in the way of actually helping these people become better at their jobs? And then to Nikolai's point, reflecting after the, the, the feedback session, how did it go and what, what did I learn? What might I do differently next time? That is a very relatable example. And just, just one of many relatable examples that you have in your book. So I want you to share with, with our listeners how they can get their hands on your book. We're happy to say that um, it's being launched on January 5, uh, early next year in 2021. Uh, we can hope, we hope it can kickstart a better 2021 than 2020, maybe it's a very low bar. Um, and for those who are interested, just, just to learn more about the, the, the work we do, and we do have a white paper on uh, return on ambition and some of the underlying uh, theoretical foundations underneath it, um, the, the website returnonambition.com has that information. Great, great. How about um, social media? Do each of you have a, a LinkedIn uh, profile that if people want to connect with you that way? Yeah, definitely we have. Um, and that, that, of course, also implies you need to, we need to mention our family names. <laughs> <laughs> so the two Nikolais, Nikolai Nilsson, Nikolai Shen Nilsson and Nikolai Tillich. Um, so yes, we have. And also, and, and this is this is quite funny because this whole project gets its own life. So so return on ambition also have quite good social media present. Uh, I think on most platforms. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you will find us there. Great. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for giving us a a deep dive look into your your book that listeners will. Definitely have a better year if they if they get a copy and read it. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy to swim with you to just <laughs> continue the metaphor. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Unlocking Mindset. 
Do yourself a favor and check out Return on Ambition so you can learn how to manage your ambition more deliberately. Check out the show notes where you can find links to the book and related website and LinkedIn channel. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jennifer Zock and this is Unlocking Mindset.